The Bible. says this in Mark 5, uh, we'll go back and look at uh, verse 35, and it says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let us cross over to the other side. So they left the crowd and took with him, took along since he was already with them in the boat, and the other boats were with him, and all of a sudden a fierce storm came up. It began to beat about the side of the boat, but Jesus was, uh, I, I like what this translation says, the boat was already being swamped with water, just overtaking it. And it says, uh, but Jesus was there sleeping in the stern on a cushion. And so they woke him up and said, teacher, uh, do you not care that we're about to die? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, silence, peace be still. But he looked at his disciples and said, why did your faith doubt? Now, let me just stop right here for a moment and talk about this because what Jesus had just finished doing, the, we started out and it said, in that evening, that evening, he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, what had just happened was they had been there for several days and Jesus had been teaching them, had been equipping them, had been training them, uh, had been pouring into them with parables. And matter of fact, the Bible says that uh, he, he was teaching them with parables, and then he would pull them off to the side and, 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 and teach them even more, and break down the understanding of it. And he was teaching them in parables and, so that they could understand uh, what he was really saying, the applicable side of it. Uh, as I like to say, he was putting the cookie on the bottom shelf uh, so everybody could reach it. And he, the last parable that he taught them, he had taught them about the sower, and he taught them about all these things and the seed. And, but he taught them the parable of the mustard seed. And he said, if you have faith, uh, the, the, grain, the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, be picked up and go over here, and it would be moved. And so Jesus finishes this. Are you with me? They're in a setting like this, and he finishes telling them the mustard seed analogy. And he says, you know what, guys? Let's get our boats and go to the other side. And so, all right, we're going to follow Jesus. So Jesus gets in his boat, and all these other little boats are going with him, and they're going to the other side. And all of a sudden, man, Jesus must have not checked the weather app because they sailed straight into a storm. And they thought they were about to perish. Matter of fact, they said the boat was being swamped. It was going under. And somebody, boy, don't you know somebody drew the short straw? Who's going to wake up Jesus? That thing was up and down, in and out, water spilling over the side. And there was Jesus sleeping through the storm. And he woke up and he, he, woke up and he calmed the storm around them. And he turned to them and he said, why did you lose your faith? Remember. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move over there and it would be moved. We looked at that in great detail last night at the South Campus. Jesus says, even greater things you'll do after I go away. Anything you ask for in my name, this is how the Son, the Father is glorified, that what you ask in my name, that he will move through that in your heart and your life. And here, here's the dynamic. Why did your faith doubt it? Why did you lose your priority? 
The priority that we had was to focus on our purpose. What was our purpose? It was to go to the other side. To go to the other side. Now, each week as we've gone through this sermon series, it's been kind of cool to me. It's been some sobering reality checkups that we've been getting. We've been asking you questions, and you've been able to give us real-time responses. And uh, we've been doing that by using this, this simple technology. And, uh, man, you can just text this. If you'll text this phone number, uh, it's uh, 22333-22333. Put that number in. Text that number, this word, family of grace, one word. Then when a question pops up, you will be able to answer it. And so today we're going to do that one more time here and just see where this really, where we're, where we are at. Now, one of the reasons I'm sharing about the value of priority is because for the majority of people, circumstances changes their priorities. Life happens. Did you know life happens while you're waiting on life to happen? one of the things we've been talking about in great detail this so wondering about what the future is the wonder the wonder lust and that whole dynamic and what god is seeing and what he is saying and what he's doing in our life so many people are living in the future that they're missing the present but i mean you wake up and you say man this is my purpose and all of a sudden you'll get a text you'll get an email you'll get a phone call and all of a sudden you're going south and you were going north when you woke up that ever happened to anybody besides me okay maybe it was east and west i don't know and so what Jesus is telling his disciples here is that you have to remember that I am giving you a word. Did I not say that we were going to the other side? Why were they going to the other side? Because he had a purpose. The purpose was what we'll look at in just a moment. Now, when Jesus got to the other side, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you know i got to touch on Mark 5 because it's the bulk of what we've been talking about. He gets to the other side, his feet touch the bank, and here comes a Gadarean demoniac, meets him. All of a sudden says, what are you doing here to torment us before our time? What are you doing? Why are you tormenting us? Jesus sets him free. All of a sudden, the demons go into all those little pigs. They run over the side of the cliff, and 2,000 of them drown. The keeper of the pigs went back to town, told everybody in the region what happened. They came out there and said, Jesus, could you please leave? Now think about that for one moment. Let's go to the other side. And we sailed straight into a storm. You see, many of us, and I include myself, we think when obstacles come, we begin to question God's word. He said, did I not say we were going to the other side? And in this dynamic, what he is teaching them is this, that he went to the other side. What, what was this interesting about? Now, the people, it's amazing how we respond to things in the natural. In the natural, it's an interesting dynamic because what he is teaching us here in this passage of Scripture is that in the natural, we normally separate from our problems. But in the supernatural, Jesus runs towards them. In the natural, we want to resolve them as quickly as possible, either fix them or remove them, one or the other. Which brings us to our first question. How about you? Which one, which one do you do? When someone finds himself in a difficult situation, do you run to them and embrace them, or do you begin to distance yourself from them? Now, before you answer... 
Let me, let me tee this up for you. I'm not talking about somebody runs out of gas and you go get them a gallon of gas. I'm not talking about somebody had a flat and you helped fix their flat. I'm not talking about any of that easy stuff. I'm talking about somebody's life has been hijacked by the devil so much that they're living out in the cemetery and they come to you and say, will you help me? Their life is so broken because of the bondage of drugs and addiction and failures of this life and all of these things. Do you run towards them and say, let me help you. Let me pour my life into you. Let me invest in you. Or do you say, well, let me lead you to somebody else. The best way I can embrace you is to point you to another area of ministry. Somebody else will be better suited for you. Well, man, we're in great shape. I mean, we ought to really be able to change this city. I mean, when you look at this today, it's an unbelievable reality that 77% of us say, I will run towards them. So what do we do when we run towards them? We have to start walking that out and saying, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And, you know, this is where we live. We live in a city that is in a, in a region that seems to be in constant turmoil. Matter of fact, it's only going to begin to be harder and harder. We're moving into an election year next year in our city, and it's going to be constant turmoil and people pulling each other away from one another and all these things. And the question is, what are we going to do? God positioned us here in the middle of this city and he gave us a purpose and a vision that we would, family of grace would exist to help healthy and hurting people to become that all become all that God has designed them to be by reaching them where they are, regardless of their race, regardless of their creed, regardless of their socioeconomics, regardless of their culture, and regardless of their generation. But can I just tell you today that it's hard. It's hard to do that. And when we look at the circumstances, we say, Lord, I feel like my little vessel's taking on water. Sometimes it's easier to just say, oh, Lord, can't we just take the pathway of least resistance? Sometimes I feel like instead of canoeing the river, I'm canoeing the mountains. And what God is saying in our heart and life, what is that priority? What is it that he's wanting to do in your life? And today we as a church have to begin to ask God, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to maintain the priority? Because here's what I want you to understand. Every one of those people that we run away from is somebody's baby boy. It's somebody's baby girl. It's somebody's spouse. It's somebody's child. It's somebody's mama. It's somebody's daddy. Which leads me to this statement. If you're going to commit to staying in one place and working for its good, that might be the most countercultural thing that you will probably ever do. Now let that just settle in for a minute. If you are committed to putting down some roots, if you are committed to saying staying is the new going, if you are committed to investing your life in your neighborhood, if you are committed to investing your life in your cubicle, in your garage, in your place of business, in your field, in your vineyard, wherever it is that you work, in your studio, in your operating room, whatever it is, if you are committed to saying, I am going to transform my city by doing this and glorifying God all the way through it, then I'm going to tell you that's probably one of the most countercultural things you'll ever do. Because the culture today is just go where it's easy. Take the pathway of least resistance. Don't invest all that you have right now because you need to save something for the future. I was thinking about this last night. I mean, honestly, LSU kind of shocked us all and pulled off a win. And uh, 
man, everybody was, everybody was uh, really, really beating up on the quarterback and saying, we need a quarterback, we need a quarterback. I watched that game, and I went to church last night, and here was my thought. We may need a new quarterback, but that kid left everything on the field. There was no doubt about that. I mean, he was doing everything he could possibly do. Was he limited? Did he have limitations? Maybe. What was it? What was this? All I know is that he was saying, I am going to leave it all. And I wonder what would happen in our work, in our place, if we went to work and we said, you know what? I'm going to give it my all today because that's my priority. Because I want to make a difference. Well, there's a couple of things I want you to write down that if you're going to value priority and you're going to have stick to I know that's not a good word, but it's good preaching. Uh, if you're going to have that kind of lifestyle, then there's a couple of things I want you to note. You've got to have a lifestyle of maintaining the purpose. What is the purpose? Now, Jesus said, guys, I've been training you in this little seminar here on parables. And now what we're going to do is we're going to cross over to the other side. What was the purpose of Jesus crossing over to the other side? Well, in the natural, there were 10 different cities. We've been talking about a lot of zip codes. Your city needs you. Your zip code needs you. Regardless of where you are, what you do, where you live, your zip code needs you to invest in it, to make a difference right where it is. All around central Louisiana to pour out your life and to make a difference. So Jesus had 10 cities across the region there. And so he got in his little boat and thought, man, we'll go over there and we'll begin to share the gospel, share the parables, flesh them out in these 10 different regions. Good strategy, isn't it? So he gets across the other side. And while all of the disciples said, we're going over there to minister to the 10 cities, man, we're going to have a great crusade. 10 cities, a 10 city crusade. Can't you just see it? The limelights, flashing signs, 10 city crusade coming soon. That's where the disciples were going for, but Jesus had a different purpose. Now, in his omnipotence, he knows everything, amen? And in his omnipotence, while the disciples were going over there looking at 10 cities, and Jesus was looking at 10 cities, they were looking at the 10 cities saying, how are we going to do this? But Jesus was looking at just one. And it was just one Gadarean demoniac that met him on the bank of the seashore out in the middle of the cemetery, naked, cutting himself, not even in his right mind, ran to where he was, fell down on his face before Jesus, and the demons inside of him said, why are you here to torment us before our time? And they said, please don't send us out of the region. And so therefore, he asked, said, would you send, Jesus saw some pigs. He sent those demons into the pigs. And those people that kept the pigs after the pigs committed suicide went back and told the people in the town what happened. The people in the town came, came and said, Jesus, could you please leave? Yes, you took our problems, but you also took our pigs. I'm not going to re-preach that because we wore that out. Amen. And Jesus didn't say, do you know who I am? I am God in the flesh. He didn't say, do you know, do you know where I came from? Do you know all that I've gone through to get here? No, no, no. You see, what the disciples saw was a 10-city crusade, but what Jesus saw was one Gadarean demoniac because this is one of the few places in the Scripture that we looked at that Jesus did not tell that Gadarean demoniac to come follow me. He tried to get on the boat last week. You remember that? He tried to get on the boat and leave that region, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. I want you to go back and tell all those that you know, your people and your regions. In other words, you, one man, trans 
transformed by the power of a supernatural God. I want you to go back clothed and in your right mind with the peace of God flooding out of your soul. Tell all the ten regions about what I've done for you. And that's exactly what he did. And they went back and they began, he went back and they began to marvel. The Bible says the people marveled. They were amazed at what God had done. The value and priority of priority is if you're going to keep your priority, then you've got to know your purpose. See, Jesus didn't say he didn't want to reach the ten areas. He just had an unconventional means of doing it. There's one more place in the Bible where this happened. It was a Samaria. In Samaria, Jesus said, I need to go to Samaria. All right, boys, we're going to Samaria. A Jew going to Samaria, riding his little donkey in there, telling his enemies what they must do. Think about that for just one moment. But no, he went and found a woman whose life was so broken she wouldn't even go to the well when everybody else went. She went in the middle of the day. He turned her life right side up and she went and got all the men in the city and brought them out to Jesus. And Jesus told them the mysteries of the gospel and their lives were transformed because of the touch of one person, one to one. Now that's not normally how Jesus does it. A lot of it is two by two. But sometimes one life in the hand of God is all that he needs. He took that gathering into Maniac and fulfilled his purpose. So stay with me. What was the priority? The priority was to reach the ten regions. That was the priority. The priority was to go to the other side. The purpose was to reach the ten cities. Jesus didn't abandon the purpose. He didn't abandon the priority when the storm came. He didn't abandon the priority when it got difficult. He said, no, 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 no. I said we're going to the other side. I'm telling you today that God has given some of you a word and you're about to give up on it. Some of you may have already given up on it because it's taken a while too far to come to fruition. But what I want you to know is that when God gives you a word, don't you let go. If he says you're going to the other side, can I just tell you you're going to the other side? You saying, preacher, you believe God gives us an audible word? No, 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 no. Much louder, much louder, much louder. When you get still and know that he's God. I'm telling you, there's some things that God has spoken to my life that is yet to come into existence. But I can't wait for it. I live as though it's going to happen. Why? Because I have a word from God. God said it. I'm not talking about because I run across some prophetess or some prophet that came into a church and wrote a generic statement and said, I'm going to proclaim this word of prophecy over you. And they wrote that little prophecy down and put it and folded it up on a piece of paper. I know so many people that have gone, I'm not making little of this, but it's such generic words from God that they hold on to it. One day there was this guy, he told me, he said, I went to this crusade 25 years ago and this man spoke this word of prophecy over me and he, he wrote it all out and I read the prophecy and it could have fit anybody in the room. And he said, when is this going to happen? I said, when you start trusting God more than you trusted this man's piece of paper. I know some of you don't like that, but can I just lean in and tell you, you need a word from God. I remember one time I was, I want to do this ministry for pastors and I was helping this other ministry and I said, you know what? I, I'm going to go talk to him about doing it. And I'll never forget, God spoke to me with a megaphone and he said, if I wanted Randall to do it, I would have told him. But I told you. I told you to do it. God's been speaking to some of you and he's been pouring his purpose into your life. But the world is knocking your priority all over the way so much that you're in vertigo and you are flying in a direction with no direction. You're aimless. 
And Jesus says, guys, I told you that if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could move the mountain. Why, when the first storm began to beat against your little vessels, did you want to throw up your hands and surrender? I told you we're going to the other side. Church, I'm going to tell you, I believe that I have a dream that one day we can see come to fruition what Martin Luther King was talking about decades ago when he said, you know what? I believe that one day we can walk together. We may be in a world that seems to be pulling us apart, but I believe the word of God in the heart of man walked out with the purpose of God in the purpose of man coming together in a cataclysmic event that will bring grace and glory on this region in our state. The problem is, the problem is, it's just so hard to maintain that priority. When it's uncomfortable, when it's unsure, when it's unpredictable, when it's all these things, it's so hard to maintain that kind of priority. And the only way you will maintain that kind of priority is if it has value. If it has value. If it has value value isn't it amazing how something of no value has so much value to people because of who gave it to them it could be something that was just 10 20 dollars and it doesn't have value to anybody else but to the one that it was given to I'm telling you, people looked at those old vans. I'll never forget that brown bus we got. It was the back of an alligator farm in South Louisiana. They had done thrown that thing away. But it had value. We prayed over that thing, drove it home, still using it. Things the world say have no value. I say unto you, but now, God in the flesh, right? Isn't that Jesus Christ? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth. I mean, it, it, didn't Jesus, wouldn't Jesus God in the flesh? Now, God in the flesh walked up on the bank of this little river, transformed a life that was so broken it had no value, and the people of the town said, could you leave? Did Jesus lose his purpose? No, 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 no. He transformed that first Gadarean demoniac missionary and sent him out to those ten cities in that whole region. But he had to maintain the priority of the purpose. Now let me give you the next thing. Not only do you have to maintain the priority and the purpose, but you've got to maintain some persistency. Now stay with me here for just one moment, minute and we'll be done. So the Bible says, you remember I asked you to underline this in verse 35, let us cross over to the other side. Now in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over again to the other side, so he went across, fulfilled his priority and his purpose, came back across, and now what's he going to do? Well, he came across, and now there was not just one person, but there was a large crowd gathered there. And it was all around him, all by the sea. And in the middle of this, in verse 22, let me summarize this real briefly for you. One leader of the synagogue named Jairus came to Jesus and amidst the crowd, he was trying to get to Jesus because he had a young girl that was sick. A little girl that was sick. She was on her deathbed. He said, if I can just get to Jesus, I believe he can do something. Now realize that Jairus was the leader of the church of that day. 
And he realized, you know what? Church isn't healing my daughter. Religion is not fixing my daughter. But I heard about a man named Jesus. And I believe if I can just get to where he is, that if there's any hope for my daughter, I believe he can transfer that hope into her life. And so Jairus stood up from his perch of preeminence, from his place of prominence, from his place of power, from his place of prestige. And he looked at his peers, those who were underneath him. You see, I believe that J. Iris was probably a leader to the degree that when he said, come, men came. And when he said, go, men went. And he looked at them and said, you know what? I've got to go find Jesus. So he began to press through the masses. And as he was going through the masses, just about to get to Jesus, the whole thing was interrupted. Because there was this woman, we don't even know her name. She had an issue of blood. The Bible says for 30 years she wasted all of her money on doctors, yet grew worse. So to Jesus she came. And she said, I believe if I can just grab the hem of his garment, because you see, I can't approach him because I'm not even supposed to be here. Do you know there are some churches today that say they are unapproachable for the broken? They are unapproachable. Oh, let me just preach a minute. They are unapproachable for the damned and the drugged and those who are hung up and their life is in a free spiral falling downwardly, crash about to crash. It's no place. It's no place. And that was this woman. She wasn't supposed to be there. She was unclean, not just ceremonially, but literally she was unclean. And she said, if I could just grab a hem of the garment of Jesus. And she did. And all of a, me, all of a sudden, her flow dried up. And Jesus stood up and said, who touched me? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but there in a mass. People's bumping into him all over the place. And she knew she was healed and she had enough courage and she stood up and began to testify. And Jesus said, your faith, the grain of a mustard seed, it's not what he said here, but if you go back to his teaching in the parable, has made you whole. Now everything starts settling down. Stay with me here for just one moment. Now it's J. Iris's turn. I can finally get back to Jesus. And about that time, he's in the crowd. Trying to get to Jesus. Push through the masses to get to him. And some of his peers come to him and says, It's too late. Leave the teacher alone. Your little girl has perished. And Jesus' boy just infuriated him and said, She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he said, Come on. And they went. And Jesus went to the home of Jairus and he put everyone out and he took that mom and dad and he went in there and he spoke to that little girl and said, rise up. And she rose. And he said, give her something to eat. And they fed her. And then Jesus, this is what's interesting about Jesus. Boy, he messes with some theologians' minds. Because he told the man who was the Gadarean demoniac, he said, go and tell everybody what I've done for you. And then he looked at Jairus and said, don't tell anybody. You know why? He, you know why Jesus said that? Not because he was trying to keep it a secret, but because Jairus was over here. You remember on the perch of preeminence, on the perch of power, on the perch of prestige, and he got off of his royal robe and he came down from amongst the peers of religion and he looked at him and he said, "Religion's not cutting it. My daughter is dying. I've got to get to Jesus." And I want you to know, on the authority of the Word of God. 
Some of you have got to push through today. You've got to get to Jesus. He's got to be your power. He's got to be the one to bring you there. Uh, J.R. Harris didn't need to tell anybody. Everybody knew Jesus was going to his house even though he put them out. They knew the little girl was dead already. They came and said, Jairus, leave Jesus alone. There's somebody with still hope. Now, what do you think they're going to do with that miracle? Keep her in the basement? No, 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 no. Jairus didn't need to tell anybody anything because he already told them when he rose up out of religion and embraced the one to have a relationship with, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Now, here's what I want you to get. Jesus is in this parade, and he's pushing through. Heals the one woman with an issue of blood. Heals one Gadarean demoniac who goes into all of that region and tells the greatest story. Heals one woman with an issue of blood who transforms her life. Heals one synagogue leader, one religious leader. And he begins to just, the miracle was a testimony unto itself. Heals one, heals one, heals one. None of them are connected. And then we go to Mark chapter 6. Let me show you this and you can go home. The Bible says this. So Jesus, after he gave this little girl something to eat, he continued in the way, and he went there and he came home. And when he got home with his disciples, they began to follow him. And they went into the synagogue and he started teaching. And so many heard it and was astonished. Look at this in verse 2. And said, where did this man get these things? That's what you think about me sometimes. He said, well, I know that boy. Where did he get that from? That's, the first, that's how I knew God was calling me to preach. First time I ever preached, I got through, and I felt like I had an outer body experience. I was like, where did that come from? And they looked at Jesus, and they, they, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where, where is this coming? They were astonished at what he was saying. They were perplexed at what he was saying. And they said, where did this man get these things? Where did this wisdom come from? Who gave him this wisdom? How are these miracles performed by his carpenter hands? He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. That's Mary's boy. That's Joseph's son. No. It can't be. It can't be. Now, I want you to look at this. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son of Mary and the brother of James? Judas, Simon, and aren't his sisters right here with us? His sisters were in the house. His brothers were in the house. So they were offended. They were offended. Look at what it says right here. They were offended by him. Then Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor. He's not without honor except in his hometown. And then this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, and he could do no great and mighty works there except lay his hand on a few sick people because of their unbelief. You remember the grain of a mustard seed? If you have that kind of faith, but their faith was nowhere near that because they wouldn't believe. It restricted what God was wanting to do. 
And Jesus was overwhelmed. Now, why am I sharing this with you today? Because if you're going to value the place that God has positioned you, if you're going to value the people that God has placed around you, if you're going to value and pay the price to minister to those where you're planted, if you are going to practice the value of faithful presence, then you better value the priority. And what was the priority? To reach people. To reach people. In my mind, if I'd have been on that missionary trip, I'd have thought, boy, we're about to have ourselves a 10-city crusade. And then when I come back and there was masses there, whoa, we don't even have to go find them. They're already here. Let's just start preaching. Is that what Jesus did? No. And then he went to the synagogue. And when he got home in the synagogue, the place where Jairus understood, when he got to that place, they asked him to leave again. The Son of God. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. They said, could you please leave? Now, what is our priority? What is our purpose? Our purpose is to impact our zip codes for the glory of God. That His kingdom may come. That His will may be done in our zip codes as it is in heaven. But I'm going to tell you something church. If we keep our eyes on the horizon. Then it will so knock us out. Of the race of faith. That it will be over. Before it ever starts. You remember? It just got out. It just pushed off from the teaching seminar. And they hit the first storm. Now, my first question that I asked you was this. If someone faces difficulty, will you run to them or will you embrace them? I want to ask you one more question and we can go home. When you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself rejected by people in your city, when you find yourself rejected by peers, when you find yourself rejected by your family, are you offended? In that difficult situation, do you distance yourself from them? Or do you embrace the difficulties as a badge of honor and say, have faith in God? Do you say to yourself, self, have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He Cannot fail. He will prevail. Self. Self. Have. Faith in God. I'll tell you. God love you that you want to embrace the difficulties. But that's easy preaching but hard living. I found myself so discouraged this week. <laughs> it's a tough week. Flu plagued my home, and my wife had a, some kind of virus where she slept for 36 hours. So it's kind of like that movie, While You Were Sleeping, a lot happened. And so finally on Thursday, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I was awake, and she 
woke up and said, would you stop? You about you give me seasick, you know, because people with ADD, whether it's daylight or nighttime, we just shake when we don't know what else to do. And she said, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I'm just depressed. I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? So I began to tell her why I'm discouraged. God love her, because I know she wanted to say, that's probably the dumbest thing I've heard. And she started saying, well, what about all this good stuff? What about all this? What about... I said, yeah, but what about this? What about this? I shared this last night, so you just have to bear with me for a moment if you're doing both services. And I had resolved in my heart there somewhere between four and six that, I, you know what? I just need to be honest. Friday mornings, I gather with the pastors, and we have uh, sermon prep time. I said, you know what? When I get there, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to tell them how discouraged I am. And so I get there, and uh, I, I've built up enough courage. I'm ready to spill my guts and, and uh, early in the morning. And then there's this young college student that's doing an internship with us as far as curriculum and having to do this with us, and we finishing this with him. And I get there, and he's there. And I'm thinking, well, I can't spill my guts in front of this young kid. He wants to go into ministry. I can't tell him how discouraged I am. Look at all that God's doing. How can I say I'm discouraged? Uh, you're only laughing because you're picking up what I'm putting down. You've been there. And I sat there in that chair, and I was thinking, look at this. Look at this. And this sermon was wrote on the board, and I thought, you're an idiot. Self, you're an idiot. God in the flesh was rejected. Yet he maintained the priority. God in the flesh was surrounded by people. Yet the people and the masses did not distract him. The smallness of the crowd did not discourage him, and the masses of the crowd did not in intrigue him. And he went home, and the people that was his brothers and sisters said, we're offended at you. And everybody in his hometown said, how dare this little carpenter come in here and tell us what to do? That's translation in modern terminology. And I looked at that and I said, Self, you're an idiot. If God in the flesh was rejected by his own people, by his own family, was crucified, where do I get the audacity to look at a few little hardships and a few little storms and say, that I'm worthy to be discouraged. Now maybe you're here today and you're like me. You may have had a tough week. Now I want you to know that the one that you cling to for the salvation of your soul knows what it feels like to be despised, to be dejected, to be rejected. And he is looking at you and saying, Come on in. The water is fine.
translation, let go and trust me. Did I not say that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountains, move, and they would move. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you need to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've been running from that calling. Maybe he's been speaking to you and you've been thinking, if I could just keep ignoring it, maybe it'll quit speaking. You can't outlast God. He doesn't need sleep. Trust me, by the end of this week, I was tired. I was wore out because it seemed like every night from four to six, here I am, wide awake, thinking, woe is me. Woe is me. And God's just saying, trust me. Trust me. If no man follows you, trust me. I went all the way across the body of water for one person. And I came all the way back for one. And for one more. And for one more. And for one more. And for one more. Now I want you to know today on the authority of the word of God. If he said you're going to the other side. Then my friends. Buckle up. You're going to the other side. Some of you here in the boat that I'm in. You just need to get to this altar and say, God, thank you. Maybe you need to get to this altar and have my conversation. You don't have to be audibly. Did you hear me say, self, you're an idiot? Did you hear me say, self, you're an idiot? No, I mean, I just sat there and I said to myself, self, you're an idiot. You have a word from God. Maybe you need to get to this altar and say, self, self, you're an idiot. You say, you're calling us idiots? No, 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 I'm just saying I call me that. Maybe you need to do what I did. Why are you putting your eyes on the circumstances? You have a purpose. You have a priority. And you just need to be consistent and persistent in following out what God has already agreed with. In Jesus' name, Lord.